Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Oval Roach. Welcome back. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtail rain Making our spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing Slaying song tonight Absolutely, and uh, there, there, like you said, there is nothing like the smooth, the smooth voice of Frankie, Christmas caroling away. Nope. So uh, before we get started, uh, I have to issue a, a formal apology to our listeners from our last show uh, because the audio from the host mic, not Mr. Producer's mic, the co-host mic, was absolutely terrible. Um, I was using a different mic setup, which is actually the old mic setup, but 
come to find out, doesn't work very well in the new setup that we have. And so it sounded like a tin can talking. Uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, uh, we didn't do what we normally do, which is, or I didn't do, which is to test it first, see how it sounds. Um, and so when I was uh, re-listening, if that's a word, back to the show, you know, to, to give constructive critique to ourselves, um, about 10 minutes in, I was just disgusted with the way it sounded. Um, so I have to apologize for that. So I hope this mic sounds better. Oh, absolutely. It already sounds crystal clear. We, we've received such feedback from uh, potential FBI, CIA agents who may or may not be tuning in. Okay, good to know, good to know. All right, let's get to work because we got a full agenda. Let's do it. Yes, indeedy. It is that time of year where we have snow games and uh, the playoff pictures start to clear out as well as the the uh, top draft pick picture starts to clear out a little bit for those uh, those of us who are a little less fortunate uh, this NFL season. Uh, but not much to report from my end. One thing I did want to ask you, though, is I know we spoke on the last show about the decision to pull Eli Manning. And I believe uh, we spoke a little bit about that. And you had said that you hoped that the coach was not going to be fired because he did not have enough time, I suppose, in in your estimation to show what he's capable of. And wouldn't you know it about 24 hours after your cursed comments, uh, the coach was canned and, um, now Eli Manning is all of a sudden the starting quarterback again, which can't be easy for a team to see a starting quarterback with Eli's um, presence or stature get pulled and then the coach is fired and then there's an interim coach and then Eli's put back in. So it's a real mess out there in New York, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. First of all, watch your tone when you're speaking about New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Um, but uh to my New York brethren and of course when I use the term brethren it's gender neutral so it applies to everybody. Uh it's a down down time, that's all I could say. But uh, <laughs> are you sure I said the coach shouldn't be fired? I I'd have to go listen yeah. to the tape to make sure that's what I yeah, said. All right. Yeah. Neither here nor there. I'm glad you got fired anyway. But um, it is what it is. But the more important story, before we move on real quick, is that I am in danger of having the dreaded trifecta. Uh-oh. Which means all three of my teams. All three. <laughs> the New York Jets, the New York football Giants, and, yes, the Dallas Cowboys may not, or we already know about two of them are not going to make the playoffs, but the third one is in danger of also not making the playoffs, and that would be the dreaded trifecta for me. That is correct. However, one of those teams, you almost guaranteed a top five pick in the draft at this point. So, uh, so that's the silver lining on that. The last thing I wanted to bring up before we move on, and it's not football related, but sports related is, uh, sure enough, 
Giancarlo Stanton, the reigning NL MVP, 59 home runs, 130-plus RBIs to his name last year in his 20s, uh, is now rocking the pinstripes. And now I got your thoughts briefly off the air, but I'd like you to share with the West Coast crowd that is listening and perhaps some of your East Coast contingent how you feel about that. I'm not overly stoked that they signed him. It's a $300 million contract or whatever's left on it. Um, But it is what it is. They are going to be charged in the public sphere with insider trading since it was Derek Jeter. um, Right, right. To make all that deal. But we'll see what happens. All right. see what happens. All right. Well, there you have it. You heard it here first. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, Today's the first day of Hanukkah. So we say a happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends. Uh, That's right. 4.51 p.m. Pacific Standard Time is when it starts, at least for us out here, uh, those who are keeping score, that is. Um, and I always have to give a tip of the cap to my great-great-grandfather, or great-grandfather, I should say, on both sides, paternal and maternal. Who are both Syrian Jews, so I always give a tip of the cap to them on the high holy days and the Hanukkah season and and the Easter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Even though I know both Jews and Christians celebrate Easter, uh, it's a long story how that happened, by the way. Um, what else? Uh, just a bit of news. Just a bit of news. Let's hear it. Um, I believe tomorrow, if. Uh, my executive assistant, Elizabeth, who's been keeping the tabs on this. Tomorrow's our holiday party. That is correct. And if her numbers are correct, we will, we will have a record attendance tomorrow. Oh, wow. So I believe she her last count was 39. Wow. That would be a record attendance. Holy smokes. Now, the last time we had in the 30s, I should say, was about 10 years ago, maybe 2007. We had about 35, she said. And now, all 39, and not not every one of them are staff, because we do invite spouses. We do invite um, former staff, et cetera. So I don't know who all of the 39 are comprised of. Might be some sure. massive liars on the street sneaking in for a meal. Who knows? But um, 39, we'll see. We're, we're, we're all going to be kind of squeezed in kind of tight there. So <laughs> It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tight squeeze, but that's really, really cool. If, if really everybody does show up like that, that's max participation. I will, I will unfortunately not get, to, not get to see it while everybody's having fun, eating delicious food, and stealing one another's gifts. I'll be sweating bullets in a classroom, but well, that, what are you going to uh, do? Too bad for you, but uh, I anticipate the, uh, <laughs> the, grab, the, gra- the Christmas grab bag will definitely be uh, high stakes with that many people. Present. That's right. It's going to be epic. We'll, we'll update our listeners at the next show as to how that turned out. Next Wonderful. thing, um, we are certainly going to continue with our – holiday theme throughout the show, playing some uh, Christmas carols, and we're going to close with a uh, Christmas carol, and just a side note, you know, I don't, I mean, for me personally, um, 
Christmas carols uh, bring back very fond memories to me. Uh, to me, you don't have to be a religious person um, to enjoy them. Um, but certainly, in, in my, they were a significant part of my childhood, and I, I, to this day, I still love hearing them, especially hearing them from Frankie and the Temptations and the OJs and you know everybody else from from Motown who did their own Christmas Carol thing. Yeah. But, but we will certainly close today with a Christmas Carol of an old school variety, from uh, just a little bit of a little nod to the Monsignor. Um, that uh, of his style that he liked. Um, so certainly hang around for that. All right. Uh, let's see. That's all I can think of or that I can actually read from my notes. You know my handwriting is not the best, but... <laughs> you said it, not me. Re- yep. And whatever we remember along the way, we'll, uh, we'll just fill in. Fill in the blanks. So, ready to go, sir, on our topic? Absolutely. Let's. Uh, I did a right, little perusing of it when you sent it to me, and I'm excited to to see what we have in store for this one. Let me give some background. About uh, maybe a couple of months ago, in the staff meeting, one of the agenda items was about uh, they were experiencing some limited parta- participation of the family in terms of the pull-up board. And we'll get into all of that in terms of what that is. But And so I said, well, let, let's do a uh, house meeting and talk to the family about that and see if we can get to meet that. And so we did the house meeting, and I made a deal with them, the family. I said, listen, so we put up some targets in terms of participation that we wanted to see the next couple of weeks. And I said, if you hit those targets, what I will do is I will then come back and I will do a seminar on the science behind the pull-up and why we believe it's so important. And immediately as those words rolled out of my mouth, I said, oh, (laughs) that's a good show topic. So, yeah, yeah. And and we do have, uh, we are live streaming into our facility today. So, but. Um, a lot of new clients, so some of the old ones that were there back then are no longer there, so it'll be, just be new for them to hear. But I thought it would be good to talk about the, and I, and I and I purposely framed the title as the little old pull-up, because let me read from the official, uh, where is it, the, the official client orientation packet of the definition of the pull-up. A form of positive peer pressure, it is a short reminder of a mistake or an indicator of low awareness, negative attitude, or behavior. And then it says, responsible concern. So, with that said, I indicated in my topic description in my opinion, and you can speak whether you agree or disagree, it is the most utilized and the most effective but underappreciated tool in the therapeutic community. It 
I think because of its um, quote-unquote everyday utilization, it the impression, and, and this is what I, I personally was kind of gathering when I was meeting with the family, was that, you know, this just has bearing on us while we're here in the house. It has no bearing, you know, moving forward. And so speaking to house attitudes, and for those who are listening who aren't aware of what we mean by that, let's first start with saying the, the understanding that a pull-up is really just a, 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 a verbal help that you give to somebody to correct something that they're doing. And one of the things that I said to the family was, you learned of the term pull-up when you arrived in our facility, in our program, but you actually have been doing it, are doing it, and will continue to do it long after you leave us. You just don't call it that. Now we who have been, you know, connected to Daytop OCG and 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 the uh, recovery world, use pull up as a part of our everyday language. I mean, I tell my daughters, you know, pull yourself up, <laughs> <laughs> and they know they know the language. They know the lingo. They know what it means. They know the lingo. Um, but you know, we all everyday people do it. When you are, you know, correcting behavior of your loved ones and, and even strangers, you pull them up. So don't think that it just applies to when you're just inside the, the confines of, of the program. So the little old pull-up doesn't get a lot of respect. But to me, it's a very, very, very important tool. Because it's probably the tool that, not probably, definitely, that is going to be utilized the most in terms of a person practicing how to their boundaries, enforce their boundaries when they are out in this in society. Whatever those boundaries may be, for whatever purpose those boundaries may be in play, because, you know, there's different different things have different boundaries. So my boundaries uh, when when you're in my car may be different than the boundaries that you, when you you know when you're in my when you're in my place, my my living quarters. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the boundaries when we're out and about at the ball game may be different than the boundaries when we are, you know, at a dance. You know what I'm saying? So you, you might have different boundaries for different environments and different places. So we're going to use the pull-up in order to make sure that those boundaries are respected. Hey, hey, no, I don't allow smoking in my car. That's a pull-up. Put your seatbelt on. That's a pull-up. Yep. Hey, don't leave that garbage behind when you get out. That's a pull-up. Tidy up that bathroom, which I need to put on a recording loop. In, in my daughter's bathroom, <laughs> 24, like with with D battery, so it lasts a long time, and just a constant 24 hours, seven day a week, 365 day a year loop. 
follow up behind yourselves, clean up in the bathroom. Follow up behind that, yourselves, clean up in the bathroom. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you could find a way to patent that, you'd make a lot of money, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I started out with them on things that applied within the confines of the program. And, you know, the traditional things that we always pull each other up on. Who didn't follow up behind themselves in the bathroom? Who didn't follow up behind themselves? Who's the, who, who was the last person who, that didn't uh, refill the toilet paper, refill the, to- you know, put the new toothpaste out? Um, you know, things of that nature. So I was talking to them about just house pull-ups, who, you know, who left the garbage on the floor or, or the famous cigarette butt. In the backyard, right? Because they do smoke. So I said to them, when you do that, when you see those physical attitudes and you go around and you do your, you know, you confront, hey, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And no one cops. So you take time to go and put it on the pull-up board, which is a board we use where our clients write down the pull-ups that they see, the physical attitudes they see around the house when things are out of place, out of order, something isn't where it should be, etc. They can put, they can write it on the pull-up board, who left the cigarette butt behind, you know, by the back door of the living room yeah. on the floor. They write their name and then in morning meeting, they get to they get called on to bring their pull up, and of course, you know, a whole number of things go along with that. But just sticking to the pull up, so that person through that act, a, a number of things happen. One, if they go around and ask two or three people, "Hey, did you do this? Did you do this?" and someone cops, it's an opportunity to pull them up, teach them something, and depending on what it is. Maybe tell them, hey, you need to go make yourself responsible. Or nobody says, hey, nope, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. No, I didn't do that. I don't know anything about that. And you go put your name on the pull-up board and you write down the pull-up so that you can speak to it in morning meeting. All of that, there's a science behind all of that on what's going on with the person when they're going through doing all of that. One, I got to challenge my fears to confront people about this attitude, this physical attitude being present in, in, the, in my house, i.e. the facility. And I said, that's one of the ways you go about internalizing that this is, this is my house. For the time that I'm here, this is my house, and I'm going to treat it as if my house. And by... Not accepting things that shouldn't be out of order, by not accepting those things, you reinforce that. Now, if you don't care about the cigarette butts and the papers on the floor and the, and the dust balls in the corner and all of that stuff, and all of a sudden you don't care if the house starts looking like a crack house, then that says something else about the family. So the family first speaks, sends a message to each other to the staff, and to visitors who come by how they present the facility. 
and one of the tools that we use that we say, hey, this is how you can make sure that everyone plays a part in keeping the, the physical plant, the, the, the physical facility looking tight is by pulling each other up, holding each other accountable to the physical attitudes that we see. And that takes some effort, that takes work, that takes some commitment. And more often than not, and this is just a, re, you know, every generation is different in terms of uh, in the treatment world, at least this is what I found. Every um, group that cycles through the process, the residential process, the recovery residence process, has their own flavor to them, their own attitude about them. And I so, agree. But one of the things I have definitely can say generationally speaking, okay, um, and even though we get a mix of, of actual generations within the family, meaning by age, right, but in terms of people being in treatment today versus five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, okay, generationally, okay, the I don't give a rat's ass is a whole lot more prevalent today <laughs> than, than any than other generations past. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. The sense of entitlement is a lot more prevalent today than it was in generations past. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, at the risk of insulting, at the risk of insulting the generation of today, and to anyone listening, okay, sometimes I get the impression that I'm waiting for someone to ask me, where are the house cleaners that need to come in and clean this facility? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Don't the, you guys the, employ uh, the cleaning house crew hasn't showed Where's up. Where's the yeah. cleaning crew? Don't they show, where are they? Don't you guys have a cleaning crew that you contract with? I'm waiting for that, and we're just joking. But sometimes from just some of our interactions, I'm sure you can speak to them too, Mr. Producer. You're wondering, where, where is it? when are they going to ask that? So that's just something that, you know, we have to deal with. Um, but it speaks to my point about uh, when you experience a period of time when people aren't participating because you don't see people utilizing the pull-up board, and you certainly, one of the first questions I asked are, are you guys putting each other up? So I wanted to make sure that that, because sometimes, let's say, for example, that, well, we're holding each other accountable and we're pulling each other up, but they're not using the pull-up board. So, okay, that's a little bit odd. I've never really experienced that, encountered that, but let me just ask just to make sure. And, of course, they weren't pulling each other up either. Right. So... I wanted to impress upon them how important the pull-up was, not just for, you know, OCG and being an OCG, but for you individually in terms of your recovery. And so that was the challenge in, to in order to make that connection to see why it was so important. When you have to challenge your fears, to talk to people and to hold them accountable, or you have to challenge your fears to, to write the pull up down. And who knows what the fears may be. The fears can be um, stepping outside of yourself to confront others, stepping outside of yourself to write. And, yes, the fear can be that basic. Hey, I don't write that well. 
Uh, my grammar is not good, uh, you know, so I'm not sure how to write this down. To having to, you know, having your name called in a morning meeting and have to stand up in front of the whole family, and you know, recite your pull-up, either from memory or from a little cheat sheet, um, and then elaborate if someone stops up, stands up, excuse me, and says, "Hey, yeah, that was me. I did that." And then you have to now elaborate the elaborate on your pull-up, uh, give them a little teaching, um, a little hand smack, whatever it may be. And um, so for, for, for most folks, you know, this is new. It's, it's uncomfortable. Um, the, the people here aren't familiar to me yet. And so I, um, I'm in a strange environment. And so I have to step outside of myself. And it matters not, by the way, at least I've found – it doesn't make a difference what your personality trait is, whether you're an introvert or extrovert. It doesn't make a difference. Everyone goes through that same experience. That now it doesn't mean that everyone responds the same. You know, some may have no problem confronting people and going around saying, "Hey, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this?" Or is this yours, etc. Some may have no problem doing that. Or writing it on the pull-up board or even standing up in morning meeting. But so, and somewhere throughout that chain of the process, everyone has something that's an issue for them. Now, I'm not going to be revealing anything, you know, uh, <laughs> that's not already known. For me personally, now, when I was in treatment, right, one of the big fears regarding the pull-up board, if you can imagine, you're in a house with 200-plus people. You get a lot of pull-ups if, if the family is doing what they're supposed to do. You get a lot of pull-ups. Uh, and so if you do the math, you figure you've got 200 people, you're, not, you're, not, you're having no less than 15 pull-ups. No less than that. But more, more often than not, a lot more than that. But the pull-ups, first of all, there wasn't a form, you know, like a, a template like we have now. Mr. Like Producer. a board, yeah, like a, like a board that they can so we, sign up so on. Well, yeah, so right now we, have, we use a template. You still have to handwrite the pull-up, but, there's, you know, the lines are already there. You know, right, so there's an so outline. Forth. Before, you had to do the, the lines by hand with a ruler. Oh, the whole, so the outline and everything. Oh, oh, everything from A to Z. You have to do it by hand. And so... If you were responsible for making a mistake, there's no lining out, there's no crossing out, there's no erasing because it was done in pen. You had to rewrite the whole pull-up board. So can you imagine if there were 20 pull-ups on there, you're writing the 21st pull-up, and you actually smudge the paper by accident? Ooh. That's not a good time. You're dotting an I, and it actually smudges on the paper, or you're crossing a T, it smudges, and you have to, and that's unacceptable. That's not prime quality. You have to rewrite the whole pull-up board. All 20 yep. pull-ups plus your own. Now, this was an extreme fear for me because my handwriting was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I cut penmanship in second, third grade. Just kidding. My handwriting was terrible. Unless I took, un, unless I took my time and, and had to be consciously aware and speaking to myself about slow down, slow down, slow down. 
I'm one of those people where your mind, your 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 hand could not write as fast as your mind is going. Right. So if I'm not talking to myself to slow down, slow down, slow down, I'm you know by the time I'm done, it is almost illegible. So of course the inside joke in OCG is you have to take a class, you know, before you can learn to read my handwriting. <laughs> brush, brush up every few years, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you course. need the continuing education unit. Right. God forbid if my handwriting changes, then you have to take another course. But oh, so I had that fear. That was a real fear for me. Yeah. Because not only did I know that my handwriting wasn't the best, and I could easily, easily like misdo something in the course of writing my pull-up, but also if I had to rewrite the whole pull-up board. It was going to be an agonizing event, a time-consuming event, because obviously I had to write it very neatly. So I get it. In my own way, I get it. But that's part of the process. Right. So all of these things that people have to work through just to engage in the process of doing a pull-up, are, again, part of the science behind it. Look how many things you have to challenge from yourself. Look at the effort involved. All to, let's say, ultimately come to fruition with you publicly standing up and publicly in front of a a group of people speaking to the pull-up that you had, the physical attitude that you found, and you now have to publicly presented to the family. So all of these little things that you have to do, that you have to experience, all contribute to the recovery process. Well, how how is that? What the hell does that have to do with me not using drugs? (laughs) Right, right, right. Legitimate question. Legitimate question. So that question, by the way, of, well, what does this have to do with me not using drugs? can be asked at so many times and for so many things in the recovery process, especially when you're in our program, because we don't give the science behind everything that we ask you to do. It's part of, it's part of the trust in your trust environment. Trust in your environment. Exactly. You know, there's a method to the madness. Exactly. But, but every now and then, you know, every 20, 30, 40 years, <laughs> we might reveal a secret secret behind it to give folks an under, a better understanding of why it's important. <clears throat> so, well, how the hell is this going to keep me from, you know, keep me clean and sober? Stop me from using? Well, very simply, so one of the two things that we're always going to stress throughout all phases of the recovery process throughout all trimesters of the recovery experience is self-control and self-discipline. And in this respect to the pull-up, it's always going to challenge your discipline, your self-discipline. Do you have, are you disciplined enough to consistently, emphatically if needed, pull yourself up and pull your people up in your surroundings when needed. 
in order to, you know, that football expression, keeping the pocket clean. That's right. In order to keep yourself clean and, and clean literally and clean figuratively. But you want to keep your immediate environment to the best that you have control over it clean. And the only way you can do that is by speak, you know, speaking up. You can't assume that people and things that come into your immediate environment are going to know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, according to your standards. Which brings me to the other thing I mentioned to them about their standards. In here, you're going to pull people up about physical attitudes and other things, you know, emotional attitudes, too. You know, you see somebody reacting, speaking out of turn, etc. You're going to pull that up. So it's not just physical attitudes, by the way. It could be other, other attitudes that a person may display, a family member may display, that you'll pull them up on. I'll give you an example. I'll have to put my daughter on blast on this one. (laughs) My younger one. So she is down a little bit in the dumps today. And I apologize in advance, younger one, that I'm putting you on blast. But it's a teaching lesson. It's a teaching right now. Because she got a B plus or B, one of the two on one of her finals and it has impacted her ability to maintain a 4.0 GPA. Okay. So she sends me a text earlier in the day, you know, and I can tell by the context of the text that she's down in the dumps. So I said to her that Shake it off. It's not the be-all and end-all. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And she said, well, it's hard to shake off. So I I had to immediately go daytop and OCG on her. I was like, oh, my goodness. You're not making me go there. I said, first of all, you're relying on something outside of your control, i.e. a teacher to subjectively score your exam. And you're going to use that and rely on that and put your hopes on that, that she's going to see it, or the teacher, whomever, is going to see it the way you see it, and then that's going to have such an impact on you in terms of whether you are feeling down or not. No, that can't be. Not something as subjective as that. Of course you should have a goal of getting a 4.0. That's a it's a wonderful goal, right? but you have to have understanding behind that of what are the parameters that go into that, what's in my, in my control, what's not in my control, and understand that, hey, if something's outside of my control that causes that to dip, I have to just understand that and be aware of that. So she then gave me a very uh, typical <laughs> 20, 23, soon to be 24-year-old snarky answer, which was, uh, well, you could have told me that a long time ago before I made the resolution. It was a New Year's resolution. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well said. Well said and well done. 
Right. So unfortunately for her, now I'm going to have to use one of my favorite my favorite get back tools on them, which is uh, giving the silent treatment for getting so snarky. But off of that real quick. So <clears throat> saying all that to say, <clears throat> you are going to, and when I say you, I'm talking to all of our clients, but everyday people too, whether or not you know the actual mental, emotional, and intellectual science behind a thing is ultimately irrelevant to whether or not that thing is important for your well-being. Whether or not you believe it to be true that the thing is good for your well-being is ultimately irrelevant if, this is an important part, if we can show if we can show through other people who took it importantly, took it seriously, utilized it, incorporated it into their experience, and then look at the end result. And if we can show that, okay, we, we can actually say to you, you know what, even if you don't believe that this is going to be helpful, we can actually show you how it is and then ask you to have what? Another unwritten philosophy. Some blind faith. Blind faith, yep. Just have some blind faith. Put it into action. Put it into play. And then see what happens. See what happens. But one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to them about the pull-up really was not about the inside of OCG. It was really about the outside, meaning how the pull-up is utilized when you are out in the real world, and you don't even realize it. How throughout your day, throughout your experience with your family, your loved ones, your coworkers, et cetera, your extended folks, that you are constantly engaging in that act of either pulling yourself up, holding yourself accountable, or pulling other people up. You just don't call it that. You never looked at it that way or seen it from that perspective or context. But we want to give you that perspective and context so you could see that, hey, this is something that I did before I even came into the program. You've done it all your life. We're just now going to show you how how important it is. Yeah, and that also – go ahead, go ahead. No, finish your thought. I was going to say, and I'd also argue that sometimes it's just like uh, the framework or the context that we've wrapped it up in, right? Like you said, people have been using it their whole life but have just never put a label to it. It's just an everyday part of their mannerisms, but we have called it a pull-up. So now there's some sort of tangible label that they can designate to such a you know, common act. Exactly. Too late to copyright it. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> no, we we might be good if no one has ever tried to put something to it. Another aspect of the science, as we were talking about all of the different things a person must engage to facilitate the pull-up, is 
what happens when you consistently do it, as with anything. When you consistently do something, especially something that you are hoping, expecting, seeking a positive result from, as you consistently do it, you are simultaneously reinforcing that result within you. So, meaning, every time that I go through the process, every time that I pull somebody up, every time I engage in the pull-up process in whichever fashion, whether it's in, in treatment, using the pull-up board, or, you know, pulling someone up and what have you, or in, in society, uh, pulling up friends, loved ones, family, etc., um, that reinforces the that number one, my belief that I believe it's important, and number two, positive outcome from that. Now, one of the things when I say positive outcome, okay, we have to be careful that it's not interpreted when we say that that positive outcome means that whatever it is you are pulling someone up on other than yourself because you, you you only control yourself you don't control another person whatever it is you are pulling whatever the pull up was when we say positive outcome we don't mean that okay so i pulled you up or you just threw a piece of paper on the floor i pulled you up and the positive outcome was that you picked the paper up as a result that's not what we mean by the positive outcome because if if that were what we mean, there would be a lot of disappointed people walking around. Because what that then does, it then it extends the outcome outside of your control. No, 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 no. What we mean by the positive outcome is you, meaning me or you or whoever, being consistent with engaging the process. So when you see that person drop the paper on the floor and you said, hey, Mr. Producer, you just dropped the paper on the floor. Would you mind picking that up? I'm done. Right. There's my outcome. I've engaged the process. My self-discipline has allowed me to engage the process. I've said I've, – I've held you accountable. I've let you know that that behavior that you just did is inappropriate or unacceptable to me. And I let you know. Now, whether or not you pick the paper up is a different story. If the positiveness of the experience is just going to be based on you following, you know, or you picking the paper up or you listening to what I say, man, you're going to be very disappointed. That's Too a big often. one. <laughs> I'm glad you touched on that. That's a big one. I mean, I guess historically speaking, but for the clients, that's that's a big one. The idea that uh, because you've engaged the process, uh, everything else shall just fall into line now. Oh, oh, one of my peers is engaging the process. You know what? Thank you. Thank you. I will pick up that piece of paper. Uh, too often, they're met with a big, ah, uh, oh, you know what I think about that paper? F you. 
And then, uh, what? Uh, All my circuits are crossed. I engaged the process. I did what I was supposed to do. And not only did the the result I was looking for not take place with the paper being picked up, but I was told uh, where I could go. And and as a result, the process (laughs) didn't work. (laughs) Right, exactly. So 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 what's the point of – yeah. Yeah, right. What's about? the point of pulling people up? Exactly. What's the what's the point of doing this if uh that's all that's gonna happen? So yeah, that's with a big that one. Yeah, so with that we say to them and which is what I said to them and what we always say to them over the years is <clears throat> it's not about whether or not they you know respond with like let's say if your pull up is encapsulated in, with the direction, you know what I mean? Whether or not they respond to the direction is not the point. It's whether or not you can be consistent enough with pulling them up, regardless of what they do. So we use the old classic example of the roommate who's in treatment for however long, and every day of their treatment, they didn't make their bed. Mm-hmm. And... The common thought is that, well, they got away with it. They didn't make their bed. And we say, no. No. The question is, did you, as the roommate, every day pull them up? One, number one, pull them up. Number two, put them in the book so they can be held accountable every day. Number three, know that. I'm going to need to be consistent every day if that's what it takes and that it has nothing to do with them. It's all about you. Well, why is it all about me? What does that have to do with me if he's not making his bed? Well, it's no different than if you have a a child or a loved one, a sibling, uh, a best friend or whatever, and they're engaging in something that is inappropriate, unacceptable, or whatever the case may be, wouldn't you not speak to it in as many times as you need to? Or would you just say after two or three times, you know what, forget it, you're not listening, I'm done, I'm tired, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, right. no, if it was my child, I'll keep, I'll keep on talking, I'll keep on pulling them up, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, well all, I'm, all we're trying to do is to get you practicing that so that you Learn that consistency is very important, and that the consistency is what actually sends the message. Not whether or not they listen to you, but the fact that you're putting it in their belly that, listen, every time that you do that, you're going to know that I'm going to speak to it. So, yeah, your roommate may not make their bed every single day that they're in treatment. And you may think that they think, that we think that they think, that they got away with it. And I'm here to tell you that if they got pulled up every single day, they got put in the books every single day, they got held accountable every single day, when they walk out of these doors, the one thing that's going to be in their belly is not, oh, wow, you know, I was here for six months. I didn't, I didn't make my bed. No, they're going to say, wow, I was here for six months. I didn't make my bed for six months. But you know what? Every single day I didn't make my bed, someone said something to me. That's what they're going to walk away with, that every day somebody said something to me. 
They didn't let me get over it. They didn't let me get, you know, get away with it. Oh, well, they didn't make their bed. That's not the point. It ain't about the bed. Yep. Just like it's never about the toilet paper. It's never about the toothpaste. It's never about the fork or the spoon or the dust ball. Ultimately, I should say, it's never about those things. In the short term, of course it is. We don't we don't want to we don't want to see dust balls and cigarette butts and whatnot laying all over the place. No, we don't want to see that. But ultimately, it's not about that. It's about am I developing the discipline, the self discipline, to be consistent with my in the enforcing of my boundaries, my standards, and so on and so forth. Am I doing that? And if you're not pulling people up, if you're not engaging in that process in your in your life, then how should I phrase this? Good things won't come from that experientially, if that's a word. I'm famous for also making words up. And now this I won't say is 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 now this I will say from my experience. And again, I, I'm not trying to insult. The, I'm not trying to insult the millennials. My hand is up. I swear, I'm not trying to insult the millennials, but not for nothing. I don't know what the hell is going on with them. And Mr. Producer, when I say I'm including my own children. When I say millennials, it has to be practiced. And in regards to the clients, I'm pleased to say that uh, they did stick to their end of the bargain. And
doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought some corn for popping Lights are turned down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you'll really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbying Long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow But that fire is mm, delightful Since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought lots of corn for popping The lights are way down low So let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally say goodnight How I'll hate going out of the storm But if you'll only hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye Long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow Weirdest thing appears to be have appears to have been kicked off line from the studio and is going to try and reconnect. Um, 
So if you heard a song come in in the middle of while I was talking, that's why. He wasn't sure if I got cut off, um, but it seemed like it may have been him this time that got cut off. He's going to try and reconnect and see if he can get back in to the studio, which is odd. Usually I'm the one that gets uh, has the technical difficulties on my end. I think we're back. Can you hear me now? Uh, I can certainly hear you, Mr. Producer. Oh, boy. Well, (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable. When I thought when I thought we had dropped off or that maybe you had dropped off, I was explaining to the audience how ironic that was because just prior to the show we were doing a headset test for you and you had suggested maybe we try you try an additional headset and you it would require you disconnecting and I was vehemently opposed to that idea <laughs> because I wanted no technical difficulties on the holiday show. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm explaining this to the audience, thinking maybe they can hear me if they can't hear you, and I'm just going to start playing Christmas songs, and uh, unbelievable. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was an internet thing or what. Uh, I just signed out, re-signed back in, and, and here we are. Well, it, it appears that for the first time it was you who was knocked off, because I, in the middle of me speaking... All of a sudden, Deck the Halls <laughs> comes up. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, that's I know, amazing. I know program it that way to come on at this time. So I don't know. It didn't just happen all by itself. So, but I figured you couldn't you couldn't hear me. Um, but obviously, we never know which one of us is. Oh, man. I think I'm out again. Oh. Can you hear me now? Hello? Can you hear me now?
All right, so uh, if the listeners out there can hear me, we have hit a glitch in the matrix uh, at this point. Um, Now it looks like the host has been kicked off. I guess before it sounded like I had been kicked off because nobody could hear me, but the host was still audible. Uh, Now the feedback we're receiving is that it is the host who cannot be heard, and so we are unclear as to whether or not you all can hear me. Uh, With that said, we are going to continue the music rolling for you guys so you guys have something to listen to because anything is better than dead air while we try and resolve this issue so we can wrap up the show as we typically do with our Recovery Sport Time segment. So for those of you out there on hold waiting to participate, please continue to bear with us and we will get to you as soon as the issue is resolved. Lights are way down low. 
So let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally say goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you'll only hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. Long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow.
Yes, sir. Well, I'm not sure if it was you or it was me, but one of Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hello. Can you hear me? I can, but I'm not sure if you can hear me, sir. I can hear you. I can hear you loud and clear. So the question is, uh, who or what put the whammy on it? <laughs> Not only is that the question, we can hear each other. Does that that hasn't answered the question if anybody else can hear us? <laughs> that, that's that's the question of the hour. And I also got to say, for anyone out there listening who can hear. Uh, all of the music during the technical difficulties, I'm going to say you may never want to hear Against the Wind for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, we know one thing. There's something going It's not on our end. Uh-huh. It's, not, it's not on our end. That, that is true. Um, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. Speechless. I can't even, I can't really recall where we left off other than uh, the pull-up is necessary and good and just believe us when we say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. But if if everyone can hear now, assuming that the problem is resolved, and at this point that's a humongous leap of faith, I'm going to say we hit them with at least one of the Christmas carols in case they couldn't hear that, and then we'll just come back with a recovery support time, because if if it's working, we do have somebody who's been on hold for quite some time that I'm sure would appreciate a little bit of airtime. All right. How's that sound? Let's do that. All right. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we do see we have somebody on hold. I think we are all resolved here on our end, so we're going to drop a couple of sound bites, and we will be with you on the other side. is frightful but the fire is so delightful since we've no place to go let it snow let it snow let it snow it doesn't show signs of stopping and i brought some corn for popping lights are turned down low let it snow let it snow let it snow when we finally kiss good night 
how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you'll really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. The fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. Long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. But that fire is mm, delightful. Since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought lots of corn for popping. The lights are way down low, so let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally say goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you'll only hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. The fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. Long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Yes, sir. 
we want to hit our caller first? Yeah, uh, let's do it. We're gonna go. We're gonna go no screening due to the uh, special circumstances. <laughs> All right, let's go. Hey, welcome to the show. Can you just give us your first name and your hometown, please? Julio from Redwood City. Hey, Julio, welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging in there through all the technical difficulties. Oh, of course. How can we help you, sir? All right, so my question is, um, I got, I've been clean for a little less than about two months now, and I'm feeling great, you know, better than I have been in years. Only thing is that I'm coming up to about my third month uh, treatment and about to enter phase two, and I'm still questioning on whether I should go to phase two. I kind of want to get on with my life. I kind of want to get back to work. I want to start making money, but um, I know there's still more work I could be I could do. But I feel like I could do that work. Go maybe go to an outpatient program. Maybe go do some meetings. What do you guys suggest? What do you guys? Opinion thing I sh- I should lean towards because I'm really up in the air on this and it's something I've been you know, thinking about for a w- quite a while now. How old are you? Twenty six. And how long did you use for? Um, the drug of choice that I got me into here, I was using no. it for two years. No. Drugs or alcohol, period. Not not your drug of choice. Twelve years okay. since high school. Okay. Um, so twelve years. You're 27. It's 27, you said, right? 26. 26. 26, okay. sir. Um, <clears throat> you follow football? Yes, I do. Okay. You ever heard the expression, the trap game? The trap game? No, I haven't. Okay. So the trap game is like when your team is on a roll. They've won three in a row, four in a row, five in a row. They oh, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. And you, and you overlook the opponent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a trap game. So you have entered the trap phase. I feel like that, I got this. Well, that's the trap phase because you got a little bit of treatment under your belt. You start to feel good. The nostrils are clearing up. The eyes are coming back into focus. You're sleeping better. Appetite's back. Yeah. And you think that's to be all in the end all. You haven't even exited the first trimester of the recovery process. Hmm. One day we'll tell you what that is, the trimesters. Of the re- There's three trimesters in the recovery process. Okay. And, and you're in the middle of the first trimester. You know where the term trimester comes from? Only place I could think of it is school, back in high school. Well, no, I don't. It's it's used to describe the the the, the various parts, timeline timelines of of a woman's pregnancy. 
Okay. So she's in the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester. Okay? Got it. So we used the same thing, or me and Mr. Producer came up with the same thing, to describe the different trimesters of the recovery process. Mm-hmm. What a person goes through and experiences in the first trimester, the second trimester, and the third trimester. You're in the first trimester, and that is the trimester where you get to a point, and if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Producer, it's about the two-month and change mark, right? Usually right right before the end of it, yeah, yep. right before the end of the first cycle. Yep, where you start to feel good and, and whatnot, and all of a sudden, the feeling good, Starts to affect the thinking good. Hmm. And a person who has been using for 12 years starts to forget and not think that, wait a second, if I use drugs for 12 years, how, many, how much time will I allow myself to get my life back to where it needs to be? How much are you worth? How much time are you worth? Is the question you should be asking yourself. And if you think you're only worth two and a half months based on 12 years, then I'll give you historical statistical data that will say a person who's been using for 12 years, and we're not saying that for 12 years a person has been using like they were the last year of their drug use. Most people work up to a certain crescendo over a period of time. So over a period of 12 years, you worked up to a a crescendo. And uh, you can stop using, which you've done, okay? But the process of recovery doesn't start and end in two and a half months. The treatment process doesn't start and end in two and a half months. And the reason we could say that is because we know for a fact a person has not explored and come to understand and done a complete self-analysis in two and a half months. It's impossible. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm just on, I'm just re- ready to, you know, fix you know, fix all the damage I caused, you know, during my using. Fix all those, you know. I cut a lot of ties, and I want to amend those ties, you know. Yeah, you can't, you won't be able to do that. You know why? Hmm. You won't, you can't do that until you're right. And And part of fixing, part of fixing those ties and amending those ties is, you displaying through your actions that you're straightening your life out, getting back on track, your recovery process is important to you. Because what you say, what comes out of your mouth, which is what people are going to do, they're not going to listen to what you say. They're going to watch what you do. And if you show that I'm serious about getting my life back in order, I'm serious about changing my direction, I'm serious about my recovery, okay, well, they're going to judge you based on what you do. And part of you showing that is your commitment to your treatment, your commitment to your recovery. That starts the process of helping alleviate uh, that makeup 
that amending process. Because you then come to the table with some chips behind you, some background, some some time, some they can look and say, Wow, you know what? I've been looking at what you've been doing. I've been keeping an eye on you. And you've been doing your thing. And it has nothing to do with what you say. So even if you decide, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to start the process, what are they to use to judge it on? The fact that you're standing in front of them? Yeah, I got no credibility right now. It doesn't work that way. Okay. Because it's all about you. you. It's all about you. It's not about the other people. It's not about them. It's about you. And they're going to look at you. They're going to say, well, what are you doing for yourself? They're not going to ask, hey, say, hey, well, what about me? What about what you did to me? They're not going to say that. You understand? Yes, sir. All right. So think about it real hard. Don't make any rash decisions. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Good stuff. Thank you. All right, bye. All right. What what did we call that phase again? I think we call it the uh <laughs> we used to call it the rabbit phase. Definitely not in uh he's definitely not in tune with what he needs to do and stay focused on. which is what's best for me. So I'm hoping hoping that our little chat will refocus him and uh, and no rash decisions are made. Also, another thing to consider, Mr. Producer, is that, you know, the time of the year. Yep, yep, triggering, triggering for many. And people get tempted, um, and we just got to continue to reinforce to people, you know, that as tempting as it seems to want to go out and make things right and want to go out and, you know, and, and, and whatnot, it's not about that. It's it's all about you. It, it's the irony in, in, in this is that when you go into treatment, you have to be at your most selfish <laughs> uh, moment in your life. It requires utmost selfishness to to succeed and do it right. You can't worry about anybody else, anything else. It's all about you. And if that's you very focused, true. Yeah, that's very focused, true. Yep. If you're and if you lose on, that focus, that's usually when it starts to go downhill. Exactly. It's a little bit uh, ironic and a little bit, uh, you know, sounds odd because usually during the, uh, the the addict experience, you were being selfish was all the rage. <laughs> that's right. But um. You have to be selfish in the recovery process in order to uh, to do it right, and that means focusing on you, not thinking about other people. 
So this show has had different extremes. <laughs> oh man. Um you're now connecting from a uh totally different uh landline calling in uh to do your producer functions. That's correct. I'm hanging on in the studio by a uh uh an overused spider web. Uh, oh man. One, one little one little uh spindle of a web which is normally very strong. Spider webs are very strong, but it's an it's 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 been a used, you know, the spider's been walking back and forth on the web, so it's been used. Um and it seems like uh, any, any, you know, touch anything and, and it knocks knocks you off. Even our even our last caller going off, uh, you know, it had an impact. That's right. And, uh, so, one thing I can say for certain that will be happening is a nicely, uh, a strongly worded email. Uh, if not immediately after this show, first thing in the morning. Oh man, I, I was waiting for you to take the bait because it's set up perfectly on a tee for you. Uh, that blog talk will be receiving a nice little pull up. <laughs> that is certainly the case. <laughs> but uh, sometimes you 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 skip the pull up and you go right to the uh, to the open door haircut. <laughs> right to the right to the smoking haircut. We lost a lot, a lot of time with our technical difficulties, and I had some very good X-File questions, um, along with uh, losing our our train of thought on our topic. Even though we covered a lot on our topic, uh, but we did. We didn't get. Um, we're we're such perfectionists. We want to make we we want to wrap wrap everything up properly. Um, Instead, in the middle of me talking, I get hit with Deck the Halls. <laughs> oh, man, that's when you knew something had to have happened. What the hell is going on here? Uh, I had a couple of good questions. I'm going to see if I can find them real quick. Let's see. That tied into some great themes. Um. Cynthia had a question about uh, asking, is alcoholism genetic? We can do that one real quick. Um, it, it has been rendered that there is a genetic predisposition um, or a hereditary predisposition. I don't know if they use the word genetic, Mr. Producer. I think they use the word hereditary. I believe that, yeah, I believe that to be the case. Okay. Because genetic would mean that there are genetic markers that are laid down at the moment of conception. And I don't know if that's, I, I don't recall ever reading anything that stated that. Uh-oh. Hello? Uh, I'm still here. Mr. Host. Mr. Mr. Producer has dropped again, I think. I think he's dropped. Um, so that's Cynthia. 
I'm going to I'm going to force him to call back in by cutting him off because I'm almost certain it's him that has dropped off. If it's me, I'll find out when he call, calls back in. But I can tell when he's calling my calling me and he doesn't hear me that it's probably him. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh yeah, I wish he was online for this one. How do you know when you are ready for recovery? That's a great question. Um, depends on a lot of factors. And usually they say it's when a person has hit rock bottom. The question is, what is rock bottom for you? Is rock bottom, and this is from uh, Roderick, South San Francisco. The question is, is rock bottom uh, jail, prison? Is it, um, you know, losing a job, losing a, a, a relationship, a friendship? You know, everyone has their own bottom. Sometimes, some people, they can reach an emotional bottom. Um, so, and oftentimes, you don't know it's your bottom until you're in the bottom. Not everybody hits, I mean, like, uh, significant life-altering things. And I consider going to jail, going to prison... Um, those are kind of, to me, life-altering things. Um, but many people have gone to jail and gone back to doing what they were doing. Many people have gone to prison and gone back to doing what they're doing. So even those, what I would call life-altering experiences, does not catapult somebody into the recovery process successfully all the time, even if that's what they desire. Um, this requires a very strong commitment. And commitment requires that the person take uh, positive action. They, they have to do something. They have to do some things, plural. Um, and they have to continue to do them. And they have to be consistent with doing them. Um, it's not something that can be like laid upon you where you have nothing, where you have nothing to do. So we usually say, you know, you know when you're ready. And Mr. Producer, I see you are connected back, but I still don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you now. Uh, to be honest, when I saw myself connected back, I didn't take that as any sign of things were working. So uh, <laughs> I didn't want to patch myself in for fear of bringing the whole thing down. Yeah, so... When I hear you ask me the question of can you hear me, I know that you've gone down, that not I've gone down. So I actually uh, forced you off to make to give you the signal that you need to call back. Okay. I don't know if you noticed that from the studio that I, I I knocked you off. That's what it had looked like. Yeah. Um, but. I was just, I don't know if you heard the question. Did you come back in time to hear the question that I answered? Uh, were we talking about hereditary alcoholism? No, this one was um, about how do you know when you're ready for recovery. Oh, okay. No, I did not hear that. So I was just talking about, when you know, hitting, 
hitting bottom and uh, knowing or not knowing because uh, uh, the bottom is different for everybody. That's right. And and so knowing when you've hit your your bottom and then how do you from there go about going up and latching on for dear life to the recovery process. So um Mr. Producer, I have one for you uh from Nick on the Jersey Shore. Does prescription meds count as a relapse? after surgery uh, not if used as prescribed we'll keep it short and simple for that one mm-hmm. that's always the uh, the caveat uh, say that again I, <laughs> I lost you for a second believe it or not I said that's always the caveat right 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 exactly exactly as long as we use it as it was intended to be used I'll let you handle this one, Mr. Producer. Uh, Alfonso from South San Francisco, what's the difference between a residential and an outpatient program? Okay. Uh, Again, straightforward is probably the best path to take with this. A residential program is one in which you reside or live in versus outpatient, meaning you are in your own residence and you transport yourself to and from whatever program it is you are seeking help from. Short and sweet. Uh, it looks like Shata from Union City. And this is an interesting one, so be, be careful on how I uh, word it. I smoke weed. My mom called me an addict, but thinks she's wrong. Okay. Is, is weed addictive? She says, is weed addictive? Yeah, that, that's the actual question, I guess. Wow, that is that is an interesting question indeed. Um, is there some joke involved with this, or is this a serious question? No, it's a serious question. Uh, yeah, weed, among many things that uh, are, is among many things that human beings can get addicted to. It doesn't necessarily need to be what we might perceive as like a hardcore drug or a street drug or the drugs that sometimes get associated with addicts. Um, but human beings can become addicted to a plethora of things, weed being one of them, gambling, sex, the the list goes on and on, but certainly weed is on that list. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a, 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 a G-rated show here. <laughs> It's a family show here. Uh, we need to we need to be honest here on Roach and Recovery. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, when I read this, I said, you know, his mom called him an addict. I said, well, if you are displaying behaviors, the definition of an addict, i.e., uh, for example, the smoking of weed has become very prevalent in terms of your life, like your life is starting to center around it. So if she sees you spending a lot of time doing it and a lot of what you do is geared towards that, centered around that, 
uh, scheduled towards around that and the whole nine yards, then that is addictive behavior. And she would be right in calling you out. Absolutely agree. And and you are correct, Mr. Producer, in terms of, you know, is weed addictive? Uh, anything can be addictive. Right. Literally or figuratively. The question is, is it destructive? There are people who are addictive to golf. In and of itself, golf doesn't seem to be destructive, but it can be if it has a negative impact on your relationship because that's all you're doing is golfing. I don't mean to throw golfers under the bus. I don't know why they golf just came to my mind. I don't golf. <laughs> golfers just got a bad rap here on the Roach on Recovery Show. So I, so I apologize to the golfers. But just using it as a perfect analogy, you know, anything can be addictive and then become destructive. There are things that in and of itself are not on its face destructive, but can become that way if you become, and this is going to be a new term, Mr. Producer, negatively addicted to them. Okay. And that's where the golf analogy comes in. Because you can be positively addicted to golf, but it has it is not negatively impacting your life, your relationship, your work, and all of that stuff. You know what I mean? But, but let's say when the majority of your free time, you like you choose to spend golfing. You know what I'm saying? And that's what right. you do. No different than someone that spends their time sewing or collecting stamps or with model airplanes or watching YouTube videos of, of, of airplanes. Who? What? Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. So, absolutely. Get off the weed, as Stephen A. Smith says. Not sure our listeners will know who Stephen A. Smith is. Oh, the sports, the sports enthusiasts will. Sure, sure. How are we doing on time, sir? I know we're we're all out of the sorts. We are out of sorts, and in fact, it is that time to wrap it up. So if there's anything you'd like to say, say it now. Are we going to hit them with one more before New Year's, or will we see them in 2018? Uh, I, hope that, I hope we can do one more show before the New Year comes. Um, that, is, that is our hope. Um, we are tightly scheduled, but that is, that is our hope. And as I said in the beginning of the show, that we're going to close the show with an old-school uh, Christmas carol. Um, along the themes of something that Monsignor would certainly like. Beautiful. Well said. All right, folks. Well, for those of you who called in to listen today, thank you for bearing with us. We will try and get the technical difficulties sorted out by administering small pull-ups where need be. Uh, That said, we hope everybody has a great holidays, a safe and fun uh, time for all to be had, some productive weeks leading up until then, and we will catch you all in a couple of weeks.
that's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you gonna let it push you down?